okay, this is a foreword of the foreword. And this is just a rough thing I'm trying. I haven't really prepared very well for it, but I'll just I'll do it off the top of my head and see what works and what doesn't. And I'll probably uh, tweak it a little bit if I do more of these. But this is sort of the rough draft. I, I had a few notes, that's, that's all. And being dyslexic, notes don't really help me <laughs> much because I can't read what I've written. So here goes. Okay, this is just a quick foreword. So... So this is my quick review of Hooray for Homicide, which was filmed or released on the 28th of October 1984. Now, my wife always assumed that I'd watch Murder, She Wrote, ironically. But she didn't know. I wasn't watching it ironically. I was enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> so in some way, I, I just wanted to... I've, I've seen... So many episodes randomly here, there, and everywhere, but not in any order. So I thought I'll go back and watch them in order. And I thought I might as well give a quick review of what I think about that episode of the day. That obviously I was, I was trying to get other people involved, and my wife uh, said no. Uh, I tried to get Moose involved, but he's too busy, he's too Hollywood now, and he won't come down to this level anymore. And I thought, yeah, well, why don't I just watch it myself? And then give a quick synopsis of the plot. Maybe I'm, maybe synopsis is wrong because I go through the whole thing. <laughs> but but here it is. Anyway, enjoy or, or, or don't enjoy. It's, it's, it, it doesn't matter. I'm just doing this to fill in time until I can go back to, to, to doing the podcast. Welcome to, well, kind of launching the pilot, but also not. This We're going back to Murder, She Wrote. Why my co-host is recovering from uh, the Tachinis Retina. I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but obviously it's something fun that he decided to do. So I went back to Murder, She Wrote. And where was I up to? I was up to episode, I guess it's episode three. Hooray for Homicide. Don't start singing it. Obviously, this is going to be a Hollywood-based one. Um, so we start with Jessica, and she's at home, and she's she's trying to work out how to strangle a, um, a dummy. Uh, <laughs> and then she decides that the, the bayonet method is better. Uh, we have Ethan working in the background, working at her pipes. Not a euphemism. He's actually working on her pipes, making a lot of noise. And the phone rings. And it turns out it's one of her friends, Agnes. I'm not sure if we ever meet Agnes, but she's a friend. And she says, look, I can't talk now. But Agnes says, oh, you don't hear Agnes. But she says, There's, uh, they're talking about one of your books on the TV. Hello? Hello, Agnes. How nice to hear from you. Agnes, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. I am in the middle of a crucial chapter. Ethan is fixing the drain. He's under the sink. What? Really? They're, they're talking about one of my books? Well, maybe I could watch for a couple of seconds. Thanks so much for calling me, Agnes. I'll call you right back. Jerry Lidecker. 
Jerry, why do we why do we call you Hollywood's most controversial producer? Well, because you hate my pictures. The critics hate my pictures. Everybody hates my pictures except the public. And today you started shooting a new motion picture. Yes. J.B. Fletcher's The Corpse Danced at Midnight. Now, the Fletcher book was a big success. Do you anticipate another box office hit? It's got everything today's young moviegoers want. Music, sex, and violence. Too much violence, perhaps? What's too much? I'm referring to the scene where the psychotic killer uses a flamethrower on a group of breakdancers. That's not my story. I didn't like that. You want to scare the kitty? It's like that Mr. Lidecker's putting some of his own ideas into the movie. Well, it's high time they heard some of my ideas. So, uh, obviously, this is the day before multi-channels, because she switches straight onto the channel, and they are, they're talking about a, a, one of her books. The, the Corp Starts at Midnight. Now, and it's the producer, Jerry Lockdecker, is talking about it, um, who's played by John Sachs, who's uh, always good. The Corpse Danced at Midnight, he says, it's great. It's got music, sex, violence, everything the kids want. And the person interviewing him says, is it a little bit too violent? He goes, no, no, it's all right. He goes, what about that? What the the uh, flame, the, all the people get flame thrown at the disco. And he <laughs> he says, no, it's fine. And Jessica's thinking, well, that's not my book. I never wrote a flamethrower scene. That's not my book at all. And from there, we leave... Cabot Cove, and she's off to Hollywood. She flies straight out there, and I'm guessing this is when she meets her agent out there, who says, says, how can I stop this? She says to him, how can I stop this? How can I stop the deal? And he says, uh, I'm not sure you can. Uh, we get the contract out, we'll have a look and see what happens. He says, but this is great for you. You know, it's Halloween meets Porky's meets Flashdance. Uh, who doesn't want to see that? He says, you should cash in on this. You should write a sequel. <laughs> she says, no, I just want to see the contract. Well, it's guaranteed boxing, that's all. <laughs> it's a combination of uh, Halloween, Porky's and Flashdance. You can't be serious. Oh, yeah, you've got yourself a hot property here, Mrs. Fletcher. You ought to follow it up real quick. Have you written any other books like this? I've never written one book like that. Look, I don't know what my publisher told you, Mr. Strindberg, but I didn't come out here to take advantage of an intolerable situation. Are you saying you don't want a piece of the action? I only want to determine my legal rights to prevent that movie producer from debasing my novel. I was told that you could help me. All right. And with that, she goes out to the uh, studio and tries to get in. Of course, she can't get in. Just so happens the costume designer of the film uh, happens to to know who Jessica Fletcher is and says, oh, I'll vouch for her. This is uh, J.B. Fletcher. She could come in with me. And so they get in together. So we're cut to a scene where Jerry, who is the producer, is chatting to one of the young actresses, Eva Crystal. And he says, look, I heard from your action coach you've not been going to the lessons. You've not been turning up. What's going on? You're seeing someone else, aren't you? And she goes, it's it's nothing like that. He goes, look, I know it is. Just stop it. That's it. Just stop it, Crystal. And then we cut to a scene where where Dano, I've called him Dano, his name's not Dano in it. It's it's, 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 it's the guy from a Wire 5.0, book him Dano, you know, and um, his his name's Albert Gilbert Gilbert in this. Uh, Yeah, it's placed by James MacArthur. And he's, he says, look, you've changed all my script. You've completely rewritten it. You know, this this isn't 
this is not the, the book I had. You took away all the acting and just put in the salacious stuff. And he goes, well, too bad. He goes, you're fired anyway. It doesn't matter. And get yourself sober. It's all, all comes into it. <laughs> and now, Lydecker meets Fletcher. No, it's Jerry Lydecker. And, he's, and he says, look, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> I own it. I own the rights. It's mine. It's all mine. Oh, yeah. And a director who is uh, John Aston, uh, Gomez Adams, <laughs> if you like. And he's getting a, a big break directing this. It's, it's been a long time since he's had a hit. Now, there's a, there's a few crosswords between Jessica and uh, the producer, Lydecker. But she says, but she leaves it at that and goes back to her hotel room where we meet Norman Lester who's found her contract for her. And she goes, oh, which one of the partners are you? And, and he goes, oh, I'm not really. I'm sort of an underling. And he goes, I found your contract. And and that's right. There's nothing you could do. It's, it's all, you signed it all away. And she goes, oh, well, I've got to do something I don't really want to do. I've got to apologise to Jerry Lydecker. So she goes back to the set and she goes, talks to the secretary. She says, I've got to see uh, Jerry Lydecker. I've got to uh, and she goes, well, he's, he's, he's not available right now. He's, he's on set. I say, well, you you can ring him or leave a message or say. And she goes, what I have to do, I have to do in person. And she goes off to the set. And here we get the corpse of Jerry Lydecker. He's lying in a on the stone stage, which just looks like a cemetery. And she notices there's a big vase by him and a button, an odd-looking button. She goes off to find some security who obviously thinks, finds the security guard and he thinks, oh, she did it. The security think they have their killer. But when she goes back to the scene with the, all the detective, uh, it's Mike. Um, Mike is the detective. He's also a screenwriter, a producer and all this. Because it's Hollywood. Of course, he's got to be. And she says, oh, there was a button there. And it's gone. He goes, you didn't move it, did you? He goes, no, I, I didn't touch anything, she says. And and then he goes, um, this detective goes to her. So, J.B. JB Fletcher, who, oh, you're the guy who wrote the book. And, he, uh, <coughs> and of course she is. <laughs> now, for some strange reason, which I can't quite write, they said, well, someone's got to tell... Eve Crystal, you know, the actress, the young actress who's who's living at his, his uh, beach apartment at the moment, you know, someone's got to tell her. And the detective says, well, oh, I'm too busy here. And the, the costume designer says, well, I didn't really, we don't get on that one. I don't think it could come from me. And so somehow Jessica Fletcher is elected to tell <laughs> the victim's girlfriend that is dead. Now, when she goes to the beach apartment, no, it's not really an apartment. Don't worry. Uh, she, she finds Crystal, and Crystal's acting very, very drunk. And she says, "Oh," and she says, "You know, why are you so serious, JB Fletcher? All the time, you're so serious. You need to relax. Let's go skinny dipping or something." Why so serious? And she goes, "Well, water's probably good. I think you need a cold shower." And I'm guessing Jessica throws her in a cold shower. Look at the holes. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. She, she, she's wearing her clothes. Jessica is, and so is the actress. <laughs> and that sobers her up enough for her to tell that Jerry's dead. Now, when 
she returns back to the soundstage, it seems like the fingerprints have all been wiped off the uh, the vase that was the murder weapon. And she goes, you didn't do that, did you? She goes, no, I didn't do that, Jessica says. She says, all I'm doing is going home. I've had quite enough of this Hollywood. She's going on strike, I guess. Yeah, come on, come on. No, uh, Mrs. Fletcher, is it true that you found the body? Mrs. Fletcher, as, as a prize-winning mystery writer, what can you tell us about the murder of Jerry Lineker? I have no idea. Now, please, excuse well, me. Who are you involved in this real-life lie? Now, obviously, we have a few suspects now. It, it turns out the um, the director, he was running the whole show, and Jerry sort of muscled his way in. And so now the director, played by John Astin, gets a lesser, lesser part. Could it be him? Could it be the argument he had with Dano about the script, changing all the script and firing him? It could be. Now, now Jessica's now Jessica's banned from the set at some point, but she she goes she goes on the tour with all the normal tourists, and she finds her way back into the set. And at the moment, they're filming. It looks like a music video. It's all music and everything's going on. And uh, Jessica says, well, this was in the script for this shooting day. And uh, someone says to her, a costume uh, says to her, you know what, we had to change the scene because we couldn't find the costumes. So we're shooting this instead. Ah, Miss Costumes. And at this point, yeah, the uh, Jerry's personal assistant points the finger at Jessica. So that's her. She threatened him. She says what he, she had to, she had to be, she had to meet up with Jerry and she couldn't do it over the phone. She had to do it in person. She is the one. And so the police take her away. She's the prime suspect. Now, obviously, they, they don't charge her. And the detective says, it's a bit of a ploy. You know, we just want, to, I know you didn't kill him. And you just want the real killer to feel like we're, we're pursuing you. And, and she's, oh, I don't want to be this. So now she's back at her hotel room. And Norman, Lester, he, he just says, look, you're barred from the law. And and she goes, well, I need you to help me, Norman. He goes, well, I'm not really a real lawyer. And Jessica says, look, you have to look at the other suspects. And he says, yeah, I'll find out what I can about the other people. Mrs. Let me tell you, as Sunenberg heard that you had been arrested, he sent me straight to police headquarters. To spring me. No, to make a deal. He can get you anything you want at Warner's, Fox, Paramount, anywhere except for the studio where... Your picture is being made. On account of your arrest, you've been banned from the lot as a disruptive influence. Norman. Miss Fletcher? Norman, would you like to defend me on a murder charge? Mur- murder? <laughs> Mrs. Fletcher, I'm not a real, real lawyer. I'm in show business. Well, we may be able to avoid it, but it'll take very hard work and a good deal of research. Are you game? Name it. Mrs. Fletcher, I will do anything to stay out of a courtroom. Good. Well, Norman... I want you to look into Eve Crystal's medical records, Alan Gebhardt's battle with alcohol and drugs, Ross Haley's financial status, and Marta Quintessa's relationship with Jerry Lindecker. <sighs> ah. <laughs> Mrs. Fletcher, I don't know where to start. Re- now, this is the bit where Jessica sneaks onto this, to the film set as, as, as a tourist again. Uh, and she goes to talk to the, the young actor, Scott Bennett. And she's, she's questioned him quite a lot because she'd seen a scene of him and... Eve Crystal and they were kissing but it went on rather longer than it needed to and so she questions him about whether there was more to it than that and he goes oh I thought this was supposed to be a close set and how did you get on here anyway 
and that's sort of it. He doesn't want to talk to her anymore. Then when she's talking to one of the costumers about the missing costumes, and she goes, well, the director and the uh, costume designer were in here, and when they heard the sirens, they went out to see what was all the fuss was about. And she goes, no, no, they left way before the sirens. Oh. And she goes, well, can I look at the original costumes? And she goes, oh, of course you can. And Jessica's flattering her, say, oh, these are lovely, these are so well made. And she goes, but there's one missing? And she goes, yeah, it's a shame we couldn't find the, the um, I was going to say cheerleader, it wasn't a cheerleader costume, uh, a marching band costume. That's the one that's missing. And she, and Jessica's thinking, oh, I should have a snoop around Eve Crystal's um, trailer and see what's going on. So she, she enters it, and someone jumps out at her just as she does it, and she go, and and he knocks her down. And she 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 makes chase after him, and she can see Norman just walking up the road. She says, Norman, stop him, stop him, and Norman does stop him. And it turns out it's the director, Mr. John Aston. I know he's not called John Aston in it, but he's John Aston. I can't get away from that. And she goes, oh, what were you doing? And he goes, oh. And, she goes, and the detective comes along and says, what's going on here? And he says, and Jessica says, what's happened? And he goes, well, I'm going to have to search you. He says, you can't search me. I've done nothing wrong. And Jessica says, you pushed me over. And he goes, the detective says, that's assault. I can search you now. And they find the button. Ah. He says, I think we have our culprit. And so they arrest John Aston. And they figure out he was trying to plant it on Crystal's, in Crystal's trailer. It turns out the costume designer, Marta, was also, used to be a mistress of Jerry. And she used to live at the beach house. Now, Jessica says they should all have a meeting one last because she wants to say goodbye to all her new friends i'm not sure how there are new friends but she says she wants to say goodbye to them so they have a little bit of a, a bash at the beach hill and now the film is not going to get finished now the director's been because he wasn't just a director he was the producer he was everything now but because he's locked up there's no way no way he could they could finish the picture so jessica's relieved in some ways because now the horrible film is not going to be made f- from her book now everyone eventually leaves it just leaves jessica and crystal and jessica says it's not actually john astin who did it he's an innocent man and he he did some things my thought is that he came onto the stage the back way when he heard uh, and he'd seen jerry dead now obviously i come along and disturbed this and he hid in the back and when i went to get the security guard he then took this opportunity to take the button and wipe the vase. This is just so he could keep shooting the movie because he knew it'd be sh- it's shut down if it turns out that Crystal was the guilty party, his lead actress. So he, he wasn't the planting the button; he was trying to conceal the evidence. And the real person who did the killing was Eve, wasn't it? And Eve said, "I didn't mean to. Just happened." She says he found out about her and the the actor. Scott Bennett, and he was cross. He was going to fire him and say that he was lazy, he wouldn't learn the script, and no one would hire him again. And she goes, I couldn't let that happen. It would ruin his life. Now, Jessica worked all this out because Crystal was a diabetic, and therefore she couldn't, shouldn't have alcohol, apparently. And so when she was pretending drunk, 
it was just acting. She was just acting drunk to throw suspicion off her and that she'd been at home drinking alone. Jessica says to her, I know you weren't a drinker. And it just ends. That's it. It just ends like that. Just stops. Party's over. Did you, uh, really have to say that about Ross? It's true, you know. He didn't kill Jerry Lidecker. He was arrested. Oh, he committed a crime. He removed evidence from the scene of the murder. And according to his confession with the police, while I was trying to make myself understood to the security guard, he came onto the stage by another entrance and found the body. He also found a gold button from a costume. He knew at once who had killed the producer. But he wanted to protect that person, to finish the picture. So he took the button and removed the fingerprints from the urn and left the same way that he'd come in. There's still time to tell your story to Lieutenant Hernandez. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you? Mr. Lidecker caught on to the fact that his protege was having an affair with her co-star. It's not true. Oh, your relationship was obvious in the love sequence Mr. Lidecker saw just before he went to the set. He wanted to discuss the costumes that you didn't like. That would explain why you wore one from a scene that hadn't been shot yet. And that never will be shot. Jerry told me he wanted to drop Scott from the film. Only a few of his scenes have been shot so they could be restaged with another actor at no great financial loss. Jerry's words. It would have ruined his career. I begged Jerry not to do it, but he just laughed. Don't you see, I had to do something to stop him. I grabbed the nearest things I could get my hand on, a heavy urn. He was going to spread the word that Scott had been fired because he was trouble. Didn't bother to learn his lines. He never showed up at the set on time. I didn't know I lost a button. I, I just ran to the car and drove here in my costume. Well, that's why Ross Haley couldn't find your costume in your dressing room closet. He was trying to return the button when I walked in on him. Protecting me? No, not you, Eve. His picture. He desperately needed a success. Even a dreary second-hand success. How did you know? Well, I didn't. Not at first. You fooled me with your drunk scene. People don't give you enough credit as an actress. It was only later that I started thinking about what you were drinking that night. I'm no expert, but even I know that real drinkers don't mix scotch whiskey with diet cola. And then I remembered Marta saying that someone put vodka in your glass in a party scene and it caused you to turn bright red. Well, there is a certain oral medication that diabetics use that could have caused that. You're not a drinker. You never were. You knew somebody would come to tell you about Mr. Lidecker. And you knew that you had to have an alibi. And that is, well, I guess it's episode three of Murder, She Wrote. Um, yeah, it was. A, I, I had... In all fairness, see this one before, so I sort of remembered who the killer was. So there was no build-up or suspicion for me. I, I just I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I do like the fact that they're turning one of her books into this horror sort of slasher sort of movie with a bit of flash dance. What they say, Hellraiser meets Porky's meets Flash Dancer. 
that sounds like a great film. <laughs> but yeah, out of so far, I give this one. Uh, I'll give it a six, a six out of ten. The acting's all good. I, I always love John John Saxon. He's always good. Uh, John Aston, brilliant. Love the cast in this. And uh, yeah, some regular faces that I recognised, like uh, James MacArthur, uh, Dano from a Y5O. Now, the one who plays um, Eve Crystal is Melissa Sue Anderson. And you may remember her best from... I'm, I'm, I'm not pretending that I'm looking it up now. What else has she done? Uh, lots of stuff. She's been in lots and lots of stuff. But the most notable stuff is... Um, uh, nothing that I have seen. <laughs> I did recognise her. I thought, sure, I've seen her before. But obviously, I didn't. This is also an interesting thing because we find out J.B. Fletcher, what does the B stand for? It's Beatrice. That's what the B stands for. It's not just like, uh, I feel like I should have a middle initial. It actually stands for something. So that was a sort of just a quick recap of episode three of Murder, She Wrote. Just, I say, when my co-host is feeling unwell, deciding to detach his retinas, uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd do, I'd try and just watch this one by myself and see what, I thought of it. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and hopefully I'm going to jig it around so I'll get a bit... I want to get these down to like 10, 15 minutes. This one's gone over a little bit long and I've missed out some important plot keys. But, <laughs> yeah. And so that's number three of uh, Murder, She Wrote. There's not many more to go, I'm sure. Uh, oh yeah, 264 episodes. I don't know if that includes the movies or not, but uh, I'm still on season one, so hopefully I'll, I'll keep going and I'll just chuck these in every so often. Yeah, I'll chuck these in so every so often just as a little mini-sodes just to keep things ticking over. And that's all for now.